1: Help your friends sleep and in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Tonight, we will be reading *The Comet*, written by W. E. B. Du Bois in 1920. William Edward Burgard Du Bois was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, in 1868. He was a sociologist, socialist historian, civil rights activist, writer, and editor. He studied at the University of Berlin and became the first African-American to receive a PhD from Harvard University in 1895. Among his many accomplishments, He helped found the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP, edited the NAACP journal entitled The Crisis, and authored many works such as The Souls of Black Folk and Dusk of Dawn. On August 27, 1963, just one day before the March on Washington and one year before the Civil Rights Act of 1964. W.E.B. Du Bois died in Accra, Ghana at the age of 95. The science fiction story The Comet is chapter 10 of a collection of stories entitled Dark Water: Voices from Within the Veil. Set in New York City, the story details the relationship between Jim Davis and Julia after discovering that a comet hit the city, leaving them the only survivors. To hear part 1 of the story, please visit the episode entitled, The Comet Part 1. In part 1, Jim Davis discovers that a comet has hit New York City and destroyed everything around him. He explores the city in search of other survivors and meets a white woman named Julia. The two start off in search of other survivors and begin to form a relationship. In the culmination of the story, Jim and Julia grow closer as they realize that they're not the only survivors of the comet. Due to the era in which this story was written, it contains language that is racially offensive. To maintain the integrity of the story and the author's intent, the language will be read as it is written. Please listen at your own discretion. Now. Close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. The Comet Yet as the two, flying in alone, looked upon the horror of the world, slowly, gradually, the sense of all enveloping death deserted them. They seemed to move in a world silent and asleep, not dead. They moved in quiet reverence, lest somehow they wake these sleeping forms who had at last found peace. They moved in some solemn, worldwide freedom, above which some mighty arm had waved its magic wand. All nature slept until, until, and quick with the same startling thought, they looked into each other's eyes, he ashen, and she crimson with unspoken thought. To both, the vision of a mighty beauty, of vast unspoken things, swelled in their souls, but they put it away. Great dark coils of wire came up from the earth and down from the sun and entered this low layer of witchery. The gathered lightings of the world centered here, binding with beams of light the ends of the earth. The doors gaped on the gloom within. He paused on the threshold. Do you know the code? She asked. I know the call for help. We used it formerly at the bank. She hardly heard. She heard the lapping of the waters far below, the dark and restless waters, the cold and luring waters, as they called. He stepped within. Slowly, she walked to the wall where the water called below and stood and waited. Long she waited, and he did not come. Then, with a start, she saw him, too, standing beside the black waters. Slowly he removed his coat and stood there silently. She walked quickly to him and laid her hand on his arm. He did not start or look. The waters leapt on in luringly, deadly rhythm. He pointed down to the waters and said quietly, The world lies beneath the waters now, may I go? She looked into his stricken, tired face and a great pity surged within her heart. She answered in a voice clear and calm, no. Upward they turned toward life again and he seized the wheel. The world was darkening to twilight and a great gray pall was falling mercifully and gently on the sleeping dead. The ghastly glare of reality seemed replaced with the dream of some vast romance. The girl lay silently back as the motor whizzed along and looked half consciously for the elf queen to wave life into this dead world again. She forgot to wonder at the quickness with which he had learned to drive her car. It seemed natural. And then, as they swirled and swung into Madison Square and at the door of the Metropolitan Tower, she gave a low cry, and her eyes were great. Perhaps she had seen the Elf Queen? The man led her to the elevator of the tower, and deftly they ascended. In her father's office, they gathered rugs and chairs, and he wrote a note and laid it on the desk. Then they ascended to the roof, and he made her comfortable. For a while she rested and sank to dreamy somnolence, watching the worlds above and wondering. Below lay the dark shadows of the city, and afar was the shining of the sea. She glanced at him timidly as he set food before her and took a shawl and wound her in it, touching her reverently yet tenderly. She looked up at him with thankfulness in her eyes, eating what he served. He watched the city. She watched him. He seemed very human, very near now. Have you had to work hard? She asked softly. Always, he said. I have always been idle, she said. I was rich. I was poor, he almost echoed. The rich and the poor are met together, she began, and he finished. The Lord is maker of them all. Yes, she said slowly, and how foolish our human distinctions seem now, looking down to the great dead city stretched below, swimming in unlightened shadows. Yes, I was not human yesterday, he said. She looked at him, and your people were not my people, she said, but today, she paused, he was a man no more but he was in some larger sense a gentleman, sensitive, kindly, chivalrous. Everything save his hands and his face. Yet yesterday, death the leveler, he muttered, and the revealer, she whispered gently, rising to her feet with great eyes. He turned away and after fumbling a moment, sent a rocket into the darkening air. It arose, shrieked, and flew up a slim path of light and scattering its stars abroad dropped on the city below. She scarcely noticed it. A vision of the world had risen before her. Slowly the mighty prophecy of her destiny overwhelmed her. Above the dead passed the hovered angel of annunciation. She was no mere woman. She was neither high nor low, white nor black, rich nor poor. She was primal woman, mighty mother of all men to come, and bride of life. She looked upon the man beside her and forgot all else but his manhood, his strong, vigorous manhood, his sorrow and sacrifice. She saw him glorified. He was no longer a thing apart, a creature below a strange outcast of another clime in blood, but her brother humanity incarnate, son of God and great all-father of the race to be. He did not glimpse the glory in her eyes, but stood looking outward toward the sea and sending rocket after rocket into the unanswering darkness. Dark purple clouds lay banked and billowed in the west. Behind them and all around, The heavens glowed in dim, weird radiance that suffused the darkening world and made almost a minor music. Suddenly, as though gathered back in some vast hand, the great cloud curtain fell away. Low on the horizon lay a long, white star, mystic, wonderful, and from it fled upward to the pole like some wan bridal veil, a pale, wide sheet of flame that lighted all the world and dimmed the stars. In fascinated silence, the man gazed at the heavens and dropped his rockets to the floor. Memories of memories stirred to life in the dead recesses of his mind. The shackles seemed to rattle and fall from his soul. Up from the crass and crushing and cringing of his cast leaped the lone majesty of kings long dead He arose within the shadows, tall, straight, and stern, with power in his eyes and ghostly scepters hovering to his grasp. It was as though some mighty pharaoh lived again, or curled Assyrian lord. He turned and looked upon the lady and found her gazing straight at him. Silently, immovably, they saw each other face to face, eye to eye. Their souls lay naked to the night. It was not lust. It was not love. It was some vaster, mightier thing that needed neither touch of body nor thrill of soul. It was a thought divine, splendid. Slowly, noiselessly, they moved toward each other the heavens above, the sea around, the city grim and dead below. He loomed from out the velvet shadows, vast and dark. Pearl white and slender, she shone beneath the stars. She stretched her jeweled hands abroad. He lifted up his mighty arms, and they cried to each other almost with one voice. The world is dead. Long live the honk honk. Horse and sharp, the cry of a motor drifted clearly up from the silence below. They started backward with a cry and gazed upon each other with eyes that faltered and fell, with blood that boiled. Honk, 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 came the mad cry again. And almost from their feet, a rocket blazed into the air and scattered its stars upon them. She covered her eyes with her hands, and her shoulders heaved. He dropped and bowed, groped blindly on his knees about the floor. A blue flame spluttered lazily after an age, and he heard the scream of an answering rocket as it flew. Then they stood still as death, looking to opposite ends of the earth. Clang! Crash! Clang! The roar and ring of swift elevators shooting upward from below made the great tower tremble. A murmur and babble of voices swept in on the night. All over the once dead city, the lights blinked, flickered, and flamed. And then, with a sudden clanging of doors, the entrance to the platform was filled with men, and one with white and flying hair rushed to the girl and lifted her to his breast. "'My daughter,' he sobbed. Behind him hurried a younger, comelier man, carefully clad in motor costume, who bent over the girl with passionate solicitude and gazed into her staring eyes until they narrowed and dropped and her face flushed deeper and deeper crimson. "'Julia,' he whispered. "'My darling, I thought you were gone forever.' She looked up at him with strange, searching eyes. Fred, she murmured almost vaguely, is the world gone? Only New York, he answered. It is terrible, awful, you know, but you, how did you escape? How have you endured this horror? Are you well, unharmed? Unharmed she said and this man here he asked encircling her drooping form with one arm and turning toward the negro suddenly he stiffened and his hand flew to his hip why? he snarled it's a nigger Julia has he has he dared? she lifted her head and looked at her late companion curiously and then dropped her eyes with a sigh He has dared all to rescue me, she said quietly, and I thank him much, but she did not look at him again. As the couple turned away, the father drew a roll of bills from his pockets. Here, my good fellow, he said, thrusting the money into the man's hands. Take that. What's your name? Jim Davis, came the answer, hollow-voiced. Well, Jim, I thank you. I've always liked your people. If you ever want a job, call on me. And they were gone. The crowd poured up and out of the elevators, talking and whispering. Who was it? Are they alive? How many? Two. Who was saved? A white girl and a nigger? There she goes. A nigger? where is he let's lynch the damn! shut up he's all right he saved her save Hale. he had no business here he comes into the glare of the electric lights the colored man moves slowly with the eyes of those that walk and sleep well what do you think of that cried a bystander of all new york just a white girl and a nigger the colored man heard nothing he stood silently beneath the glare of the light gazing at the money in his hand and shrinking as he gazed slowly he put his other hand into his pocket and brought out a baby's filmy cap and gazed again a woman mounted to the platform and looked about shading her eyes she was brown small and toil worn and in one arm lay the corpse of a dark baby the crowd parted and her eyes fell on the colored man with a cry she tottered toward him Jim he whirled and with a sob of joy caught her in his arms are you still up girl good night